Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift. Salamat pagi in Bahasa Indonesian or wa 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 in traditional West Papuan greetings. Um, we will be talking about West Papua today on the show. Uh, my name's Andy and I'll be with you for the next hour. Uh, coming to you this week from Wanarua country in Hunter Valley, New South Wales. Um, as you've been following me, traveling around the country i've skipped ahead a fair bit but i'll i'll be coming back as queensland soon um and as i said today on the show we will be talking about west papua they are australia's uh one of australia's closest neighbors and they are an ongoing human rights disaster but an ongoing triumph of determination and the will for freedom and justice in the incredible way that Political movements have continued to build in West Papua despite incredible repression, you know, repression of culture, uh, land being taken, leaders being assassinated, uh, the threat, constant threat of violence, the very repressive laws that mean, you know, they can't meet for rallies, they can't fly their West Papuan flag. It is one of the most difficult but one of the most inspiring human rights struggles on the planet and it is happening right in Australia's neighborhood. We don't hear about it often enough but over the years on the Paradigm Shift I have tried to cover it a bit. In fact one of the first shows I ever did um, on the Paradigm Shift back in 2013 was about West Papua and over the years since then we've checked in at different times to hear updates from campaigns and a bit about the history and a bit about the human rights abuses. So today on the show I will be speaking with Ronnie Kareni who is a longtime Papuan activist based now in Canberra about um, an update from the last couple of years of West Papua and also I'll speak to Zelda Grimshaw, an Australian ally who has been working on a website called waronwestpapua.org, which is an attempt to trace the weapons that are used to repress people's movements for freedom in Papua or often just to, um, to kill people in acts of intimidation or sometimes uh, revenge attacks if there have been um, Papuan guerrilla attacks. Um, often it's unarmed civilians that are killed in revenge. Um, so 
we'll be hearing all about that. We'll also be having some great West Papuan music, of which there is plenty. And we'll be linking it in as well to the upcoming event, Disrupt Land Forces. In the beginning of October, there will be a big weapons convention in Brisbane, in uh, South Brisbane. And some of those companies that sell weapons to Indonesia to be used in West Papua will be there. And so part of the focus of um, the people trying to disrupt this event, trying to make sure it doesn't happen again in Brisbane, is trying to protect our neighbours. So um, you'll hear more about that, but it is all happening at the start of next month, and I do encourage you to get involved. But for now, let's get into the show and have a listen to... Ronnie Kareni. My name is Ronnie Kareni. I'm a Canberra-based West Papuan activist. I've yeah, been here in Australia for the past yeah, over a decade. Um, early living as a refugee in PNG, pretty much all my upbringing in the 80s up until early 2000. And ever since arriving in Australia, I have been um, advocating mostly on our, on West Papua's right to self-determination. Yeah, so I guess you mentioned there that you are born in West Papua but grew up in Papua New Guinea. That's the case for a lot of uh, West Papuan people. There's a lot of refugees over the border there in PNG. Oh yeah, that's pretty much still an ongoing. Um, ever since Indonesia brutally and illegally occupied West Papua in the 60s. Um, we, there was influx of refugees um, episodes, yeah, um, at certain point where these crackdowns and heavily uh, military operations, you hear a lot of the uh, Papuans fled across to the border. And in the 80s, mostly, uh, between 83, 84, that was record uh, high of over 10,000 Papuan fled across into Papua New Guinea and my family were part of that exodus um, into PNG. Well, and the recent recent numbers were a couple of hundred uh, people fled across in the, from late September, um, even up until early uh, this year. Um, is those that um, fled from the Kiwi Rock uh, military um, operation there. There was an incident of a medical person um, got shot at, and then there was a heavily uh, military crackdown, which forced many of the civilians and local Papuans uh, across the border. Mm. Yeah, and that is an important thing. I guess a lot of people might know the basics of West Papua that there was the Indonesian invasion in the 1960s after Papua got its independence from the Netherlands and it's been occupied since but a lot of that violence um, is still going on today isn't it? Oh yes very much alive and also with the increasing um, awareness around West Papua with um, leader Benny Wenda in UK um, you know, um, campaigning on the Free West Papua campaign and when in 2014, when the West Papua movements and different factions coming together to form the United Front, uh, um, called the United Liberation Movement for West Papua, 
and then gained a uh, diplomatic ovation in 2015 as a observer at the sub-regional grouping, the Melanesian Spearhead Group, and then following on in 2019, Pacific Island Forum, which Australia is also party to the forum, um, came out with a strong statement um, in the communique or the leaders' communique to call on the UN Human Rights Commissioner and also um, underlying that the root cause of the conflict in the Papua is, yeah, still remains unresolved. And that has really um, forced the, the Jakarta to really uh, amplify one to um, crack down on the the resistance, the civil resistance in West Papua, but also um, increase its uh, lobby efforts in the region, but also internationally to yeah, basically shut down any support that any country um, uh, advocating on the human rights issues in West Papua, and you know Australia here. In early 2020, um, Jakarta came here like, through Jokowi, the president, and signed and strengthened the defense and um, also trade um, cooperation, as well as um, early this year when Antonio Albanese, the Prime Minister of Australia, um, did went over across to Indonesia as well to really renew that um, commitment. Um, on those same areas, particularly with defense. And we know some of the Australian cheap bosses, especially the, the weapons companies like Thales, um, went over across to Indonesia and really um, promoting Australia's weapons um, to Indonesia counterpart. And that's kind of like signaling of how much Indonesia is really trying to um, stop any support or any um, advocacy on the human rights, let alone the political aspirations of the indigenous Papuans. Mm. Yeah, a few years ago it did seem there was uh, some momentum around West Papuan independence, as you said, uh, gaining some status at the Melanesian Spearhead Group and things. But it seems like the last couple of years there's been a real pushback by Indonesia with a, a real military presence in the country. Absolutely. They have really, um, you know, even the freedom of expression or freedom of assembly doesn't exist um, in West Papua. Um, we know the youths have really came out in numbers, thousands across um, Papua, coordinated mass rallies, but that in itself, like yeah, leaders were arrested prior or during the rallies, um, and even like no room for even just to walk or rally, like uh, they use water cannons, uh, big tanks and police, like like heavy militarized and forcefully dispersed. And, you know, even this week, as we were speaking now, like um, the Foreign Affairs Minister of Indonesia, Retno Marsudi, have landed in, the, in Fiji. And surprisingly, I've met with the, the Pacific Island Forum Secretariat um, with no, you know, released around like the, the reasoning of going there and met with even the Fiji government currently, which we know Fiji is coming to election in, you know, later in the year and celebrating Indonesia's independence. And then the day after Tuesday, they went to Solomon Island and gifted Solomon Island with the futsal stadium. 
And so we're seeing how Indonesia use transactional diplomacy to really silence human rights situation in West Papua and um, what everyone's calling for basic, uh, you know, freedom of assembly and expression and political views, which, which is suppressed in West Papua. And in recent years as well, there's been some big uh, infrastructure built by Indonesia. I mean, for many years, it's been encouraging migration into West Papua and things. But there are several big infrastructure projects that Indonesia is building in West Papua to really shore up their power there, isn't there? Yes. And that one of that is the Trans-Papua Highway. And the manner in which the project came about is that it wasn't um, tendered. Uh, rather, it was given straight to the um, the military to run the project. And so the funds were given directly to the military, uh, which some of the top generals got their own companies. They run their own business in, in West Papua. So they were given those funds and, uh, and also in the name of security uh, for any businesses that will be operating in uh, West Papua, it's dangerous. So that's kind of like the, fr- the framing that um, Indonesia used to um, sell that to the any even any businesses or foreign investors. That you know the presence of military is important to provide security. But this one, it's the infrastructures and development in in the case of um, West Papua, it's handed straight across to the the military themselves, which they operate like mafia. And so that Trans Papua Highway became the tipping point of um, the National Liberation Army um, attacking or making a, a resistance against the, the, the continuation of the Trans Papua Highway there towards um, Duga and then connecting it into um, Jayapura, the north, north uh, east into PNG side. And they blocked that. They made a, a big statement, which they there was the attack in 2018, December of 2018. And so that has also flared up this whole, um, you know, war of the national liberation, which um, at the moment it's it's happening as we speak, and it has also caused in thousands of um, internally displaced Papuan refugees. And, and many have been forced to live in the jungles across the border. Um, and yeah, and many have died along, you know, the way in the past four years. And we're reaching this humanitarian crisis right now um, in, in the central highlands of Papua. Yet, um, on the flip side of this, the special autonomy package that was passed late last year and now it's in its first phase of new provinces already been announced and more headquarters for military and police as well as uh, more of the transmigration um, that which you highlighted just beforehand um, to really kind of like make numbers for occupying the, the, the respective like new provinces, sub-districts as well as like yeah local kind of like yeah, administrations. Um, that's kind of like, yeah, that is happening as we speak too. Yeah, so special autonomy in West Papua is not uh, not such good news for West Papuan people. No, 
it's not. It's not at all. It's just another package of uh, colonization or uh, neocolonialism to continue. And what we're seeing is that um, Indonesia is using special autonomy to gain more foreign donations or like, you know, um, approach different um, donors and investments. Um, meanwhile, they use the, they've increased the military presence in the region um, through that special autonomy package. So uh, for Papuans, this is the marginalization. This is where the extermination of the indigenous voices and population um, that we're going to be seeing they're going to be in the next 20 years, um, how does this impact that will have a massive impact on Papuans. And so for us now is where the total revolution on the ground is muchly needed. And basically for a well-organized, well-coordinated effort, like for civil uh, resistance organizations and activists to really kind of like, yeah, going into this um, clandestine and underground kind of like coordination of the movement itself. Mm. So, Ronnie, I believe you're coming up to Brisbane uh, early next month for Disrupt Land Forces. What's the relevance for West Papuan people of coming to the Land Forces Weapons Expo? Yeah, well, the, we know that they, the weapons companies, are, you know, will be convening there. And it's also like, you know, the question around who benefits or, um, uh, from the war in West Papua. And it's like a weapons companies and they cannot just um, go ahead and um, supplying and aiding the Indonesian death squad and really carrying out uh, this like business uh, within with weapons companies who you know, are accountable and responsible for uh, supplying or uh, selling weapons to Indonesian uh, government and its military uh, forces. So we, we're coming up there and um, I wanted to also acknowledge the work of the uh, Dis Disrupt War, uh, which they organizers, um, Maggie and Zelda and yourself and many other amazing um, activists that are really highlighting this issue around the weapons um, companies and governments that are selling weapons to Indonesia, which are used to kill and suppress the, the people of West Papua and many other uh, people around the world. Hey, And so coming up there to really highlight and put on notice the, the companies like Thales, um, which, you know, they supply some of those um, munitions and armored vehicles um, to, to Indonesia. So, and even Australia government donated some of the circulars which were used for aerial bombing um, in the past um, couple of years. Okay, well, Ronnie, I look forward to seeing you up in Brisbane soon. Is there anything else you want to leave us with? Um, yeah, well, some one is um, thank you for like yourself, Andy, for this ongoing kind of like yeah, using this medium to really kind of like share our stories and West Papua story. Um, broadly, it's important because West Papua is very close to Australia, very close. Um, it's closer than um, Sydney to Canberra. And, and what to think of it in terms of proximity and the 
the human rights situation that is going on. Um, one of our call is to really for anyone to just kind of like pay a visit or call your local member of parliament and just to talk about like um, Australia's uh, role in advocating on human rights situation in West Papua. Um, right now at the moment, what we're trying to really um, lobby the members of parliament is to really be vocal on on West Papua in the parliament, whether it's during Senate estimates or whether it's during um, parliamentary sitting, just to tie in or connecting it with um, uh, whether it's the engagement on the trade or on the defense or on any bilateral engagement that Australia has with Indonesia um, and set a sentence on West Papua, uh, particularly on um, the human rights situation. And that's 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 one thing that I um, yeah I want to leave with that with um, for listeners and supporters I can be contacted as well um, if you know anything and information or any um, follow our Facebook page um, which is the Free West Papua campaign Instagram page Free West Papua campaign Australia as well and then yeah um, keen to have a chat with anyone who wants to kind of like a joint force. All right, thanks very much, Ronnie. Likewise, thank you, Andy. On the paradigm shift on Four Triple Z, we were speaking with Ronnie, a West Papuan advocate, about what's been happening in the last few years. A bit of an update on the situation there. Uh, of course, despite the fact that, as Ronnie points out, West Papua is closer to Australia than Canberra is to Sydney, we don't often get to hear many updates about. Um, the situation there, the oppression of human rights, or the incredible movements for change and really well-organized protest movements and things like that that are going on in the face of pretty extraordinary repression. So uh, good to check in and good to hear from Ronnie. And uh, as he did say, he will be up in Brisbane shortly for Land Forces, Disrupt Land Forces, where part of the focus is really going to be uh, highlighting what happens to these weapons? Where do they go? The weapons that are sold at the Land Forces uh, Arms Expo in Brisbane. And quite a few of them it is to Indonesia to end up uh, oppressing West Papuan people and occasionally killing West Papuan people. Um, and somebody else who will be there is Zelda Grimshaw, who is a long-time advocate of oppressed people in our region. In the 90s, she spent a lot of time supporting uh, East Timorese people trying to get their independence from Indonesia became fluent in uh, Bahasa Indonesian as well and she's putting that to good use now working with people in West Papua and one of the things she's doing is creating a website called the War on West Papua that is trying to trace the weapons that are being used in West Papua by the Indonesian military and sometimes by paramilitary groups that are there and then trace back where do they come from. Um, and quite a few of them, It is they have links to Australia, and there's other places around the world where they do. You can find out all about it if you go to the website waronwestpapua.org. Um, but if you stay tuned in to the Paradigm Shift for the next 15 minutes or so, you'll also hear Zelda talk about it. So let's have a listen to Zelda. So my name's Zelda. I am a campaigner with Wage Peace. And as part of your campaigning with Wage Peace, you have been part of making a new website that's called 
War on West Papua. Can you tell us uh, a bit about this website? For sure. So I guess the genesis of the website was a conversation between ourselves and friends in West Papua who were saying it would be great to track where all these weapons are coming from, who is making a profit from the killings in West Papua. So we worked in two directions. We worked backwards from looking at weapons on the ground in West Papua and IDing them and tracking them back to their country and company of origin. And we worked the other direction, looking at some of the big uh, global weapons sellers like Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Thales, um, General Dynamics, to find out what they'd exported to Indonesia. I guess we'll get onto a bit about what that website found, but I guess in terms of uh, this knowledge, what's the theory behind it? Why is this knowledge useful, knowing who's selling these weapons? Yeah, so when we find out that Talas, for instance, are selling their Bushmaster vehicles to Indonesia, who give them to their Kapusas special forces, who use them in West Papua, then as activists in central Victoria, we have a local target that is directly connected to ongoing genocide and um, extractivism in West Papua. So Tales Factory is in Bendigo in central Victoria. So we're able to then, as peace and human rights and First Nations and climate activists, to mobilise our people around a target that's in their neighbourhood. So we did that, we've done that a couple of times at Tales in Bendigo. And uh, we're hoping that activists all over the world will also take the opportunity to use that information to activate in their local spaces against weapons companies who are manufacturing in their own towns. Yeah. So Tales is one company you've mentioned there that has links and that has uh, manufacturing plants in Australia. Um, I guess what are the other things that you found? I mean, we'll start with Australia. You've got a whole list of countries on the website there. But for us as Australians, I mean, what information have you found about Australia's links to Indonesia's occupation of West Papua? I guess there are three sort of sets of uh, ways that Australia supports the military occupation in West Papua. So one is through diplomacy, uh, Australia's acceptance of Indonesia's military occupation, uh, the Lombok Treaty signed in 2006, which basically guarantees we will never ever talk about anything that Indonesia finds uncomfortable. And that was demanded by um, Indonesian diplomats after Australia accepted 43 West Papuan refugees here. So... Indonesia was really upset that Australia had acknowledged that these 43 West Papuans were at risk of persecution if they went home uh, to West Papua. So insisted that Australia sign a treaty saying we will never make any comments um, about your internal affairs. Um, of course, it goes both ways. And the rest of the... Um, the rest of the treaty is pretty much about security agreements. 
So that brings me to the second set of ways that Australia supports the occupation of West Papua, which is through our security cooperation or defence cooperation um, deals. Although we don't really think it's about defence, we think it's about attack. So we talk about them as attack industries and um, attack agreements, because that's actually what they are. So we train, Australia um, trains Kapasus Special Forces, who are notorious for human rights violations and were throughout the occupation of East Timor and other special forces such as Kopaska, um, D88, which is highly militarised police force, this sort of counter-terror police, um, and Bremob, who are the riot police. So our federal police and our armed forces, our Navy and our Air Force all engage in training exercises with Indonesian special forces. And yeah, I mean, it's killers training killers. So, you know, of course, what's going to come out of it, but more killing. The third way that Australia supports the occupation is supplying arms. And that's where wage peace is really focused. Um, I guess because Australians are not very aware that um, we have weapons companies all over our towns and cities. So we are hoping that people become aware that those weapons companies are there, are manufacturing and are selling to Indonesia, to the Philippines, to other places in our region um, where those weapons are frequently used against civilians, land defenders, indigenous peoples, environmental activists, you know, anyone who stands up against the authoritarian regimes. Um, Brisbane is the base for Rheinmetall, which is Germany's biggest weapons manufacturer. Uh, and they have a, a, a large manufacturing plant in Brisbane. So last Friday, we did an action at the Rheinmetall factory in Brisbane. Uh, we took a group of people there and put our banners across the front entrance and actually did lock down the front entrance of um, that factory for a couple of hours. We also facilitated some of our Australian friends to attend the weekend-long um, camp, like act action against Rheinmetall in their home base in Germany in a town called Kassel. So a number of our Australian friends were there um, participating in that resistance. That's um, You can look them up, Rheinmetall Entwaffnen uh, is our friends in Germany. And that's been, you know, makes me jealous because it's hundreds and hundreds of people. <laughs> it's a really huge, uh, huge, huge uh, collaborative event. And we were also able to uh, facilitate a young West Papuan activist who lives in the Netherlands to attend that mobilisation and speak about West Papua and speak about the impacts of weapons from companies like Rheinmetall in West Papua. So, you know, West Papua and, and that struggle is now part of the, um, the consciousness and the program, I guess, of um, anti-militarism in Germany. Uh, so that's been great and of course they love our actions as well um, and support us so 
I guess that's another aspect about um, resisting arms manufacturers is that they're typically international. So the possibilities for trans-border solidarity really open up. And that's been really exciting. It's really important, isn't it, to, especially when weapons are so often manufactured in one place and then used somewhere else, to bring those people from the front lines that are on the receiving ends of the weapons, bring them into focus and bring them to speak. Like, that's really powerful. And, um, and obviously, it's also just really honest about what actually is being built at these factories. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we when we devised our sort of program for the year, earlier in the year, we talked about smashing the social license of weapons companies. And then we thought, actually, you don't even need to smash it because they really don't have one. Like These weapons companies get away with manufacturing bombs and bullets and weaponized vehicles and components for combat aircraft because people don't know they're doing it. Actually, the, nobody supports manufacturing weapons. Like the, there is no social license for making weapons, so it's more about exposing the fact that they're there, um, and also highlighting the impacts of those weapons where they end up and the impact they have. I mean, obviously, they, you know, there are people who are who are killed and who are who are maimed and harmed in many ways by weapons, but there's also a, a bigger community effect in that. It's like weapons like Rheinmetall and Thales and Boeing, which is another company that's manufacturing a lot in Australia. Um, those weapons are used to dispossess whole communities, whole sort of sub-nations. And that's really very pointy in West Papua where big corporations are still um, cutting down forests. It's sort of unbelievable in, in the era of climate collapse that there are still companies cutting down rainforests, um, but there are. They're doing it in Australia and they're doing it in West Papua and they're doing it with military assistance. So those weapons are companies are also directly implicated in that dispossession and that deforestation and that destruction of culture and of country that goes on. Yeah, it's really significant for... I guess, environmental impacts of how is militarism linked to environmental issues. One is that, well, militaries are huge polluters and so is the manufacturing process. But also it really does enforce um, the extractivism in these places, doesn't it? That it's often militaries in Indonesia where you've got the Indonesian military doing security for the Freeport McMoran gold mine and things like that. Like it is the force that allows the destruction of our planet. 100%. I mean, I think militarism plus extractivism is colonisation. You know, those are the two elements that create colonisation. And sadly for us, in the 21st century, colonisation is ongoing. It's ongoing on this continent um, where, you know, First Nations peoples are still trying to get land returned and trying to protect what, they already have from exploitation. Um, but in countries where uh, struggles are a little bit further out of the public eye, even more so than here, um, and in West Papua, the two most pointy ones are there's a new mine being opened up near Freeport called Block Bear, Wabu, 
that will be a similar size to Freeport, which is massive. Uh, if you think of the biggest mountain you've ever seen and you blow the top off it, that's about the size of the Freeport mine. Now they're wanting to do that to another mountain. And of course, the local people are resisting this. And so, of course, the Kapasa Special Forces and Bremob and Kapaska and all of those Australian trained soldiers and riot police are in there. And they are in there with weapons that some of which are made here in Australia. So the other huge project that's going on in West Papua is called the um, Integrated Food Estate, the Maralke Integrated Food Estate, uh, which is also tragic. It's supposed to be about food security, but in fact, they're eliminating people's, any chance people down there have of food security by destroying their forests and their rivers. And they're not planting food crops, they're planting palm oil um, under the guise of it being a food. Uh, and I was speaking to some people just last week who've had Kapasa soldiers come in and move them off their land and move them out of their village because you've got to make a way for this food estate. And so people go from being pretty much self-sufficient, able to live from the forest and the sea and the rivers, and pretty much able to you know, have pretty good food security, to being homeless and have no food, and have to become wage slaves on the palm oil um, plantations where they are completely vulnerable. So, yeah, it breaks my heart, Andy. And so anything that we can do over here to call those weapons makers to account feels really important. So coming up very soon at the beginning of October in Brisbane is the Land Forces uh, Weapons Expo, and you are part of organising Disrupt Land Forces. Um, how does it link in the war in West Papua with what's happening in Brisbane at the beginning of next month? So in Brisbane, um, from actually from the 30th of September through to the 7th of October, uh, we'll be gathering a whole lot of us from all different kind of sectors of activism to disrupt the biggest weapons fair in the Southern Hemisphere, which is Land Forces. It, the connections to West Papua are multiple, um, but primarily they're through the weapons companies that will be exhibiting um, at this weapons fair. So weapons fairs are typically where weapons companies do their deals. So it's where governments will go, trade delegations will go, military and police officials will go, and that is where the big sales happen. So it's where the deals get done that enable companies to go in and confidently dispossess a whole people of their country in West Papua or the Philippines or the Amazon or wherever it is that they're deciding they want to exploit next because they know that their military has just bought a billion dollars worth of Boeing weapons. So we'll be focused on the companies that um, we've already identified as operating in Australia and exporting to West Papua. So that's Boeing, Rheinmetall, Thales, Elbert, who are also um, very implicated in the um, oppression of Palestinian people. Um, EOS is a smaller Australian company that exports to West, um, to West Papua. Lockheed Martin, of course, biggest arms dealer in the world, heaps of their weapons in West Papua, and they have a research lab at Melbourne Uni. 
which we've also done in Action At. And, um, and the one we've added this year is Naya, which is not exporting to West Papua, but they are arming Australian police. So earlier this year, we uh, entered a collaboration with the senior elders in Yundamu after they put out their ceasefire call. We were really impressed with their um, their statement of demands. Um, we loved their call for ceasefire and for no more police guns in communities. Um, and we got in touch and said, look, we know who sells those guns to the police. We know who makes those bullets for the police. Um, we would like to go and blockade those factories. How does that sit with you? And the elders said, hell's yeah, please go and do it. Um, so we blockaded Naya factories in Brisbane and in Benalla, which is in central Victoria. Um, and we've added the call to disarm police um, to our sort of mission statement for this year, I guess. Uh, and Naya is a major sponsor of Land Forces. So we've got the six companies, the big transnationals who are exporting to West Papua. And we've also got Naya, who's an Australian company who arm um, police in Australia. And like more likely than not, it's a bullet and a gun from Naya that took the life of um, the young fella up in Yundamu a couple of years ago. Mm. Okay, well, thanks very much, Zelda. Um, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with? Yes, on Saturday in Mianjin, we're having a public meeting at Juggeral Hall. So it's 2.30 to 5. If you're in Mianjin, get down there. Um, there's a great speaker list, including uh, welcome from Auntie Debbie Sandy, um, the MP from Greensland, Stephen Bates, um, Bo Spiram, Mujid Adib, um, Anna Carlson, and our own hero, Muggy Pistorius. Get down to Jagera Hall, 2.30 on Saturday, and find out all about it. Okay. Thanks, Zelda. Thanks, Andy. That was Zelda Grimshaw there, curator of the website waronwestpapua.org. If you want to uh, hear more about which countries and which companies are supplying weapons to Indonesia to use to... Uh, further their colonial uh, repression in West Papua then head to that website um, as Zelda said there is an event tomorrow at Jagera Hall in West End in Musgrave Park um, uh, info public meeting about disrupt land forces and the attempt to stop uh, those weapons companies from using Brisbane as their own personal little storefront to sell the weapons of death and destruction that is their business. So that's at 2.30 at Musgrave Park, Jagger Hall. Um, and Disrupt Land Forces, it is all happening on from the 1st to the 7th of October. You can find out more at disruptlandforces.org or on your social media. And West Papua, there's plenty of resources out there. Uh, Ronnie is involved in the Free West Papua campaign, which you can just find on social media or at freewestpapua.org, and you'll find plenty of resources there to learn more and find out how to get involved to help support our neighbours in their fight for freedom. 
it is much to Australia's shame how uh, much we hear about America or Europe and how little we know about our own region and what's going on there, the people's struggles that are happening. But uh, West Papua is one that is very much relevant to us and as Ronnie said, it is really um, as Indonesia pushes further and further into that country and entrenches themselves more and more, that it's becoming more desperate if there's ever going to be something done to give West Papuan people real self-determination over their own lives. It's going to have to happen soon. That's all we have time for on the Paradigm Shift for this week. I hope to see you on the front lines with West Papuan people at Disrupt Land Forces. Otherwise, I'll be back next week on your radio. See you then.